Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And it gives me great honor to bring Dr. David Haskam on about his book, Back in Control. And by the way, that is a K backwards there. Um, on this book, uh, he was referred to me by Bruce Lipton, who we just did an interview on the honeymoon effect. And Bruce is, uh, gave basically David high, high regards. He and I have spoken before as well. Um, this book and his application are amazing. You're going to learn all about it during this podcast. Uh, good day to you, David. How are you doing in Berkeley? Doing great. I always enjoy talking to you. You're yeah, welcome. I enjoy talking with you as well because you're so knowledgeable about this and you did such a 180 um, that I think that for my listeners, uh, they need to hear the story, your own personal story with back pain as well. Um, and this isn't just about back pain. It's really about also the physiological, the emotional, the spiritual journey that's necessary to, you know, actually get yourself out of back pain. But I'm going to let them know a bit about you, David, because there is some at your website. And then for all of my listeners who want to just go to the website, they can. Um, but he is a complex deformity spine surgeon for 30 years, practicing member of spine specialists, the Swedish Neuroscience Institute. Uh, he has a revolutionary approach to treating chronic pain has helped hundreds of patients to live pain-free. In addition to being a best-selling author, he's a sought-after guest on TV and radio programs and sought-after speaker at medical conferences around the world. And as I mentioned, we're going to have a link to Amazon. You can pick up a copy of this book, and he also has several other books as well. And he has an app that we're going to be talking about that you can download as well off of um, Android or uh, the Apple Store. So David, look, I was reading your book and look, you've had your own challenges with back pain. Um, and as a back surgeon and having done hundreds of surgeries, if not thousands, um, you saw the issues. And you decided to write this book because you took a new direction in your life. Um, can you tell the listeners really why you were in so inspired to write this book and then subsequently develop an application and a course for people, uh, because that's a big part of this as well, to do something as what most people think is a lot more mechanical. They look at a physical pain in their back as being, oh, I have a disc thing or I've got a, you know, I've, I've, I've got something, something is wrong. And I can do it through maybe chiropractic manipulation, or I could do it through a surgery. But your approach is really completely 180 from that. So how'd you get there? First of all, I want to emphasize really strongly, this is not, not my approach. So this approach is simply looks at the basic data that's been there for over 30 years. In medicine, modern medicine right now is simply overlooking the data. There's all sorts of data showing that chronic pain is a neuro, neurological disorder. It is not structural. After six months of pain in any part of the body, from headaches to burning mouth syndrome to back pain to foot pain, whatever it is, the brain memorizes the circuits in about six to 12 months. Once those circuits are memorized, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like phantom limb pain. So then it turns out 
that mental pain and physical pain are the same thing. The brain does not know the difference between physical and mental pain. There's going to an email from a world expert on what's called mitochondria, these little cell, little organs inside each cell. Each cell has one to 2,000 what's called mitochondria, the little engines that drive a chemical reaction that creates energy. And when the mitochondria break down, the body becomes inflamed. The mitochondria at the smallest cellular level cannot differentiate, differentiate between mental pain or emotional pain and physical pain, cannot tell the difference. So it's basically safety versus threat. So at the DNA level, same thing, chronic stress creates inflammatory reactions called warrior monocytes, the little white cells that kill off viruses and bacteria, but they also kill off your own tissues. So what I've learned the hard way, I went through 15 solid years of chronic pain. I had 17 different symptoms with back pain being sort of the minor one compared to the rest of them. And I had migraine headaches. I had burning in my feet, ringing in my ears, skin rashes popping up all over my bodies, severe allergies. My feet were burning. My stomach was a mess. My back pain was a mess. And nobody could tell me what was going on. Mm -hmm. The medical world's coming up with a term called medically unexplained symptoms, MUS, and it cannot be completely more wrong. Because when you look at the body in fight or flight chemistry, everything's wrong. So the body responds to threats or stress with a chemical reaction to optimize survival. Every living creature has the exact same reaction. Humans have a word for it called anxiety. It's just a chemical reaction to protect you. And when your body is to sustain fight or flight chemistry, everything breaks down. All these symptoms start occurring. So we know the essence of all chronic disease, mental and physical, is sustained chronic threat or stress physiology. So as a surgeon, and this is why I quit my practice, it's been documented for over 30 years, actually 40 years now, that disc degeneration, bone spurs, arthritis, ruptured disc, herniated disc, scoliosis, None of those have been documented to cause pain. None of them. Conversely, lack of sleep has been documented to cause chronic low back pain. Lack of sleep. It's not the other way around. So we know it's a neurochemical disorder. The disc has been documented to not be a source of pain. <clears throat> medicine, has gone through down, medicine has gone down through a structural rabbit hole. There must be a structural explanation for everything. It's completely the opposite. Everything's wrong which should be called medically explained symptoms. If your body's on fire, your brain itself becomes inflamed, symptoms pop up all over your body. They're not psychological. It's your body's chemistry creating symptoms. Each organ system is going to respond in its own way. And so hence, I had 17 different symptoms. There's up to 30 symptoms that are created yeah. by stress physiology. Every chronic disease has actually been documented to be chronic stress physiology. So that's has changed so dramatically for me, even the last six months about the mental pain versus the physical pain. So you're going to go back to my surgical pro practice, us operating on anxiety. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned these in the book. I'm looking at your introduction, page 17. You say, uh, separate from anxiety by breaking the cycle of negative thoughts, identify stress-induced anger triggers, give up victim status, become more productive, uh, proactive about your care, understand your medications, uh, create a vision for recovery and living a productive life. Now, 
one of the things that comes up for me is you're you're talking about the why. I get that. And most people are looking at the the symptom from that. What causes it versus the actual um, situation. And they don't get what you just explained three minutes ago. Um, they don't understand all of those things. So what can you help them to do in this holistic approach to dealing with chronic pain? And can you explain why the approach that you have is essential to how it differs from tr traditional methods? Because yeah. they're, they're right now sitting there, well, doctor did a great job of telling me where this is all happening and all the cells in my body. But now how do I do something about it? Okay, so again, I'm gonna say this is not my data. This is just what the neuroscience says to do. Yeah. And my, what I've done is created a framework that allows the data to be accessed by clinicians and patients. So I'm going to try to go really simple here. Okay. So your stresses or circumstance are processed by your brain that creates physiology. This is how the body functions. You're either safe or you're in threat. So a sustained threat that causes symptoms. So in other words, stress causes physiology, causes symptoms. The root cause is the interaction between your stresses and your nervous system, right? If your stresses are high or your nervous system's tired, you go into fight or flight, which creates symptoms, illness, and disease. Mm -hmm. The answer is using what we call them cues of safety, that the human, every living creature wants to be safe, including especially humans. And so by creating safety physiology, the safety body, body breaking down, you're actually refueling and regenerating. So not only people heal, they thrive at a level that's unbelievable, unbelievable. So the way we deal with it, we call it dynamic healing. So there's ways of processing stresses, so they have less impact on your nervous system. There's ways of increasing the resilience of the nerve, increasing the resiliency of the nervous system, so it's less reactive. Then there's ways of directly affecting physiology um, to lower from fight or flight to safety. The key issue is that you have to use a combination of things. One thing alone never works, or one thing alone might help for a few minutes or hours or a day or two. But people say, well, I tried mindfulness. That didn't work. Well, it helps. Or I tried cognitive behavioral therapy and it helped, but again, doesn't solve the problem. So we call it dynamic healing. There's ways of addressing the input, the nervous system, and the output of the physiology. You use, you use these tools automatically multiple times a day. And you just start living life a lot more easily. So before I go into the specific parts of each section, there's a major concept here that's really, really critical. Most of us want to fix our pain, right? What's running the show? The pain. Yeah. Yeah. So the healing occurs in two separate sections. One is learning how to deal with your stress physiology. And Bruce Lipton taught this to me. So with this massive survival reaction that humans call anxiety and anger, it's the same reaction that my cat has, but she doesn't have a name for it. So we're trying to get rid of the word anxiety and anger, just saying activated stress physiology or activated threat physiology. And anger is hyperactivated stress physiology. It's a million times stronger than your conscious brain, a million to one. You can't control it. It's, as Bruce points out, it's automatic. It's hardwired with absolutely no control, but it's also a gift. If we didn't have anxiety and anger, we, none of us would have evolved. 
None of us would be alive. None of us would stay alive. So as a survival reaction that you realize everybody has it, it makes you feel bad. It's supposed to make you feel bad. It's a survival sensation. So you develop a working relationship with it. You separate your identity from it. You watch it do its thing. And so the question I'll ask you rhetorically of anxiety is simply the word that describes your, when you are in threat state. It's not responsive to rational interventions. How do you lower anxiety? You want to answer the question right. Is this a rhetorical question? Yeah, no, I'm sure I wouldn't answer it right. It's a massive I... stress reaction. We have no control over it. Right. It's universal to everybody. And we keep calling it psychological. And it's just a state of body's physiology. Right. And by trying to treat it psychologically, it's a disaster. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying. And for the listeners, and probably for me as well, um, how do you address, you know, what you're addressing is, and you've made it very clear what is causing it. And with Bruce Lipton's explanation as well, the, the fact that a doctor will say, many of my listeners, oh, you have arthritis. Well, arthritis is being caused from the inflammation. The inflammation is being caused by, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of diagnosis that the regular, well, my listeners would get from a doctor that says you have this and they're saying, oh, now I'm claiming arthritis. And I'm like, well, no, don't claim it. I say that same thing. So if you have a diet, exercise, yoga, meditation, mindfulness practice, you're doing all of those things yet you st- and whatever else you could do let's say there's even more we could add to this 17 point situation you're still not better then what do you do what do you do those piece- people that are hesitant and they're they're looking at they're skeptical about it well first of all everybody wants to fix their pain yeah okay so let me i'm going to go back to the survival physiology so we have one part of it survival physiology mm-hmm. way lower anxiety and lower threat physiology i'm sorry you simply lower your stress chemistry Mm -hmm. but the other half of healing where the healing actually occurs is neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. programming new circuits into your brain that don't have pain so that's where we learn how to thrive so if you're using activities or a hedonistic lifestyle to bypass the pain circuits it actually is inflammatory so it's a process of learning how to process stress physiology learning how to feel the pain and process it then the other half is nurturing joy which is a different skill set. They're two different skill sets. So you can't use joy as a bypass for your stress physiology. So they're linked, but they're two separate skill sets. So if you're trying to fix your pain from a neuroplasticity standpoint, just to be clear, neuroplasticity is that your brain changes every millisecond. Your brain is switchling. It'll take any sensory input and process it in a way for you to survive. Mm-hmm. It changes every second. So we're programmed by our entire life up to this very second. There's no such thing as a true self. It's right here in front of you. The beauty of that is you can program in anything you want going forward, anything. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that the skill set of learning how to lower stress physiology, you can do it by changing the input. And so there's two parts to that. One is what are you holding on to and what are you loading into it? So one of the biggest problems we get into with chronic pain, first of all, the mental pain is the bigger problem. We'll get to that in a second. But secondly, if you're loading in negativity, your brain's going to be in fight or flight. So one of the most cardinal rules that we deal with, with chronic, again, I use the word mental pain, because that's actually the bigger issue, 
is no complaining, no gossiping, no giving unasked for advice, no criticism, no discussing your pain, no complaining about your medical care, no discussing medical care. It all comes off the table. People in chronic pain, one of the hardest things I found out through our workshops is that people, they're in pain, they want to get out of it, so they talk about it all the time. Probably 70% of their waking hours are spent discussing their pain. Some people, it's 90%. Right. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who just cannot stop talking about his pain. And I was the same way. You're in pain, you're frustrated, you're trapped, which fires up your nervous system even more. And so one of the cardinal rules to start the process is changing the input of not discussing pain, complaining, et cetera. Stop watching TV. Maybe watch the news a little bit. Maybe watch programs that, that are entertaining. But a study out of Australia shows that inflammatory markers are correlated directly with the time you spend watching TV. It doesn't matter what you watch. Watching TV more than two hours a day inflames the nervous system, mm. especially the news. So again, on the input side, what are you loading into it? The other part of it is, what are you holding on to? So forgiveness is a big deal. So it shows that 90% of people in chronic pain are still angry at the person or situation that caused the injury in the first place, 90%. The way the human brain works, if you stay angry, you might as well have the person sitting right there next to you. Why do you want somebody that you despise taking away your quality of life? That's the least logical thing we can do. But anger is also addicting. It's powerful. It has dopamine. And in chronic pain, you're trapped. So it feels like the only thing. And plus, you have a right to be angry. I mean, you're trapped. But forgiveness is too big of a word. It's just some things are unforgivable. Sometimes there's ongoing abuse. And there's a whole part about anger processing that probably is more than we can talk about today. But the bottom line, anger is a physiological state. The way you solve anger, you simply drop down the physiology. That's it. We have a process called flipping the switch. So when you're anxious or frustrated, especially angry, your blood supply to your thinking brain or neocortex goes offline or downregulated. You can't think clearly. So we have a little saying about no action in a reaction because you're not thinking correctly. So if you're triggered, you're triggered. You can't control it. The first thing, the first thing you have to do is just get out of the room. Don't say anything. Just let things calm down. So we have a 5-3-2 process called no action in a reaction. You're not thinking correctly. The second three words is called flipping the switch. Anger is so powerful. It's so addicting. Nobody will ever, ever want to give it up. And you can't. So you simply change directions. I mean, I've been in a victim role long enough. I don't want this person in my life anymore today. And just flip the switch. And you end up doing this multiple times a day, every day. Somebody cuts you up in traffic, somebody insults you, whatever it is, allow yourself to be angry. Decide how long you want to stay angry. You simply change directions. Then the final two words is move on. So we simply get back into life, move forward. So now your brain's in what you want to do. And that's where the neuroplasticity starts taking place. Mm -hmm. So you no action and reaction, flip the switch and move on. There's also things like reframing or should thinking. Right. So we get upset about things we have no control over. Like, you know, world events, you know, human abuse, all sorts of things are legitimate reasons to be angry. We get angry about something you have no control over. You're just wasting your time. So you got to let that go. 
but all those are learned skills. So that's the input part of it. There's also a process called expressive writing, which is equally as important as not discussing your pain, where you're changing the input. So you're simply separating from your thoughts. You simply write down your thoughts. The more negative and emotional, the better, but it does not have to be that way. And you tear them up. Mm -hmm. I've not seen one person heal without that exercise. Again, not a solution, but it's a mandatory starting point. So I still, here's my expressive writing today. Should be write it down, tear it up, that's it. 30 seconds, a minute, hour, whatever it is, it's just an exercise. Mindfulness, we found out instead of having racing thoughts, anger, et cetera, simply putting your brain on a different sensation calms down the nervous system. So I have a process called active meditation. I just sit back in chair. just for a second. Just go and sit back in your chair for a second. Drop your shoulders and take a breath and just feel the chair. Five seconds. So your brain's on a different sensation. You can do that all day long. Easy to do. Doesn't take extra time. Mm -hmm. And it's a form of mindfulness. But the other thing is called cognitive, cognitive reprocessing, where you start looking at, you become aware of your thought patterns. You get to watch them and you realize that a lot of them are dysfunctional. You simply choose to think differently, not suppressing, but you realize, well, this is sort of ridiculous. Okay, this person didn't call me back. I don't really know the reason why this person didn't call me back. So these are cognitive, just cognitive distortions that actually disrupt your life. There's nothing you have to do except be aware of them because they're not real in the first place. So again, input is what are you holding on to? What are you loading into your brain? You have all the say in the world because what it does, it lowers your threat physiology. Mm -hmm. What's the input? Then you have your nervous system. So if you raise in an abusive background, you're like a feral cat. And a feral cat's on high alert all the time. I was raised in an abusive background. I was a feral cat. And it takes time to calm that cat down. Mm -hmm. You can do it, but it takes time and repetition. You're always looking for the threat. Right. Yeah. So it takes training to learn how to feel safe. Talk therapy doesn't do that. What about it's changing environment? Well, no. Well, I mean, you said you were raised in that. I guess somebody says, well, if I'm raised in it or I'm in it, how about I move out of it? Yeah, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying this to you because I'm really serious about this. So people think by changing their environments, they're going to solve their pain. It never works. It never works. Because what happens, you're at the mercy of your circumstances. In other words, when your peace of mind is at the mercy of your circumstances, you're, I'm sorry, when your peace of mind is dependent on your circumstances, you're at the mercy of the circumstances. So when I was in major spine surgery and having horrendous chronic pain issues, of course, I wanted to get out. And spine surgery is probably the worst of the worst stressful professions that exist. So I could have done sports medicine. I could have gone back to being an internist. I could have done ER. All sorts of things I could have done that's much, much simpler than spine surgery. But I instinctively knew that wasn't the problem. And I was absolutely correct. Because it, what happens if you start avoiding stress, your will becomes very small. It becomes very stressful avoiding stress. So it's about processing stress. Remember the well, when stress I, when, well, let me mention something. When you say change the environment, let's say somebody works at a desk or they work someplace where they're doing repetitive activity, which th they don't really like. It doesn't matter. But then they say, hey, I'm going to go out and ride my bike, or I'm going to go play volleyball, or I'm going to take a walk on the beach, or I'm going to go into the forest and take a walk in the forest, or whatever it might be. 
To me, that's a change in environment. Wouldn't that particular action help to relieve the stress and anxiety associated with the action they're doing prior to that? So the answer is yes, but let me split this up a little bit. So the other ways you increase the resiliency of your nervous system is exercise is a big one. Um, diet, an anti-inflammatory diet helps increase the resiliency of your nervous system. Sleep is a big one. Walking in the woods, barefoot, being out in nature, all those things calm the nervous right. system. Right. So, but avoiding, so yeah, but but actually remember the stresses that are most stressful, the ones that you can't avoid, can't control. Otherwise you would, otherwise you would. So the answer is yes, but you will, but while you're at your desk, if you're sitting there every day saying how much you hate your job, that's a problem. Because people think if they change jobs, they're going to be happier. And that might be true. Maybe not. But the key is get happy first. Then make decisions on your terms not to seek happiness. So yeah, you're exactly right. So by diet, exercise, and sleep, you're increasing the resiliency of the nervous system. Trauma therapists can help the feral cat feel safe, i.e. they can help calm you down. So yeah, calming tools, increasing resiliency of the nervous system are all fair game. But again, our circumstances may maybe have a family situation that's not great, or your work isn't great, or your boss isn't great. And of course, it's nice to obtain jobs and stuff if you can, but most of the time, the things that stress us out the most are the stresses we can't control. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I just think it's really critical to make the differentiation. So you have the input, the nervous system, and remember the only goal is to get your threat physiology into safety instead of threat. So the final thing is you can do like breath work, slow breathing between six to 10 breaths per minute, stimulates the vagus nerve, which is anti-inflammatory, Social connection with other people, deep relationships are stimulating oxytocin, which is highly anti-inflammatory. Humming stimulates the seventh cranial nerve in the back of your neck, which is which stimulates the vagus nerve. You can rub your forehead, which stimulates the fifth cranial nerve, which again stimulates the vagus nerve. So those are things you can do to actually directly stimulate the vagus nerve to actually calm things down. Biofeedback, medical hypnosis, acupuncture, EMDR. As a surgeon, I just blew this off as, well, whatever. But what happens is that they actually directly stimulate the vagus nerve. They're highly anti-inflammatory and actually solve the problem. Sounds so like, uh, it sounds, David, like the vagus nerve is a, is a major component. Uh, yeah. you, I think you've mentioned it five or six times. Now, I do have a personal story around the vagus nerve. And that was my father went in for heart surgery and the doctor nicked his vagus nerve um, in the process of his heart surgery. And and they didn't actually say, they didn't tell him that's what happened. And he ended up hiccuping to death. Um, They tried to give him everything at the time to do that. And I know this vagus nerve is, you mentioned it kind of nonchalantly in this conversation, but that vagus nerve goes all the way down into the heart, right? And the reality is, is that um, he could not control his hiccuping as a result of nicking the vagus nerve and he died. He died as a result of being so tired from hiccuping. He just really hiccuped to death. Um, and sorry. yeah, and it, it, it was sad to see because my dad was just sitting there doing this, <laughs> you know. And the point was, is you're talking about stimulating this. And I think uh, I, the reason I bring it up, the story up, is because 
you're mentioning it pretty nonchalantly, but there's a lot of people that don't know anything about it. Could you say a little bit more about this vagus nerve and what it's actually doing to actually um, exacerbate some of these issues we might have? Well, do you know Stephen Porges? Have you met Stephen Porges no. yet? Uh-uh. Okay, he's the person we'll call the polyvagal therapy theory. And he and his wife, Sue Carter, and I, and a group of us have become very good friends. We run an international study group twice a month on Wednesdays. And we've been talking about the deep science around chronic disease for a while. And his insight in, insights into the vagus nerve have been stunning. Um, we have not really heard of it much until we met Stephen Porges. And what happens is that you have two parts of your body as far as it's more complicated than this, but in the basic terms, you have a sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, which is activating, put you in fight or flight. Then the vagus nerve is anti-inflammatory, goes to every internal organ of the body is innervated by the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. So it's located in the brainstem, it's the 10th cranial nerve. And when you stimulate the vagus nerve, it's highly anti-inflammatory and calms things down. When you nick the nerve, you've lost that calming effect. You have unopposed sympathetic tone. Then the vagus nerve goes to the intestines, it goes to the bowel, the bladder, it goes to every, the spleen, the inflammatory system, the bone marrow. Every organ in the body is stimulated by the vagus nerve. It's the largest right. in the body. So what happens when you do activities, we call them cues of safety. You actually stimulate an anti-inflammatory effect. And just to be clear, when we talk about threat physiology, you have a bunch of components. You have stress chemicals like um, adrenaline, um, noradrenaline, you have, um, then you have the consumption of fuel by cortisol, which takes fuel out of the body. It's called a catabolic state, which takes fuel out of your body as opposed to anabolic state. And then your neurotransmitters in the brain, your cells are separated by a space called synapse. And you communicate with neurotransmitters that are either calming or excitatory. And so what happens in stress you go from acetylcholine, which is calming, to glutamate, which is excitatory. So your chemicals in your brain change. Half your brain is the immune system. So in chronic fight or flight, you're actually your entire brain's inflamed. Mm. The brain's connected to the vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve is reflecting the inflammatory state of the brain into the rest of the body. Wow. So it's, and it's highly more complicated than that. Then you, have this, then you just have the stress chemicals like adrenaline, um, cortisol, um, histamines, all these things are stimulating your body in general, heart rate goes up, et cetera. And so there's a bunch of things to the threat response. And again, your, your unconscious brain is processing against Bruce Lipton's data, about 40 million bits of information per second, 40 million. Your conscious brain is processing about 40, 40 million to 40. So what you're doing is that what we're doing with the process of dealing with the input, the nervous system and the output you're simply allowing your body to heal. So that's where we go back to this original conversation, which is so critical today about fixing your pain. You're also allowing it, I think, I, I get from the conversation, it's really about a peaceful, calming state, right. um, which in, in most cases were not, like you said, you were always on tiger growing up. And I think this is a great segue for us because you have built an application called DOC Journey Course. It's an application right. and a course. Right. Um, and it's teaching these principles. And in the time remaining, you've done a great job explaining where this is all coming from. And again, I'm going to tell my listeners, 
go out and get the book. I have my highlighter stuck in there because I've been highlighting pieces of it. Um, that um, course that I started taking, um, I think has valuable content for people to make a shift. And they it's like anything in life, you kind of need to be reminded and you need to have a, a path to get there, right? You're talking about all these things. This app and this course give you that path. Um, and they do a good job of explaining it. Tell us, you know, how people get it, why they should get it. And if they're in pain, what's the biggest benefit from getting it? So again, I want to emphasize that the mental pain is a much bigger problem than physical pain. We have mm -hmm. no objective response for mental, mental pain. And we can talk about this maybe on another podcast of what I call yeah. repetitive, unpleasant thoughts. But what happened when I wrote the book in 2016, it reflects my story, my understanding of anxiety and anger. So it's a really good starting point. I say, look, just do some homework. And so it's been a really solid foundation, but it doesn't give an action plan that works. So I developed what's called the DOC Journey. It's a computer-based course and also an app. It takes you through a sequence of just little things to calm your nervous system, it creates more awareness, then starts providing tools actually regulate your physiology. And then leg five, middle part of the course is around anger. Every person that heals has to learn how to process anger. Every person, no exceptions to that. And because it, what happens with anger, there's a blame game going on. And then number one factor that predicts healing is two things. One of them is willingness to engage. And secondly, is taking full responsibility for every aspect of their care and their life, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of anger. Then the course goes on to getting organized and repetition. Remember, you're reprogramming your brain away from the pain. You're learning a new language. So you're not going to learn French by not speaking English. You have to practice French. To have a good life, you have to practice a good life. So you're doing repetitions of what you want and this is the hardest part of the process. People cannot give up the fixing mode. If I have one thing- Cannot say, give up the what? Fixing. That's why you can learn how no. to regulate your physiology. It'll always be there. You're not going to fix that. The harder you try to fix it, the worse it gets. So my point is quit fighting darkness. It's normal. It's protective. Just turn on the light. And so that's so much against the paradigm in medicine where we're fixing, fixing, fixing. If you're fixed, you can't fix darkness, right? No, you have to bring light. Um, right. It's the duality of life, right? You right. can't have one without the other. I think the other thing that you mentioned in the book was the victim mentality. And I, you, you mentioned that earlier on that people will talk 70% of their time about their pain. Right. Well, if you're just focused on the pain, you're going to have more pain. Um, and you usually, most people, and I'm not saying everybody listening to the show, but if they listen to themselves, you know, and if you had a camera, I tell people, you don't have to believe everything you think. And if you had a camera following you all day long, would you like what you see? Right. right? Um, and, and I think many of us might not like what we see, the way we react, what we do. Um, we don't have a camera following us. Uh, that's one thing. And secondly, um, we we don't need to sit around and believe everything we think. And we need to have an open mind to doing that. And you have um, 
you have some success stories from the book. Obviously, you've been able to cure a lot of people. But um, what are some of the success stories that you've had? I think people relate to that, to individuals that utilized your app, read your book, took your course, uh, and the success they've had. Well, I have one gentleman, Tom. Um, he's always happy to have me share his name. He's a highest level real estate developer and developed pain in his 30s and over the next 25 years had 28 surgeries with nine wow. of those back surgeries. And he finally had a suicide attempt. He was on high-dose medications. And the physiatrist down there in Palm Springs kept asking him, asking him, why are you so angry? He goes, I'm not angry. But all of a sudden, something woke up in him. So he realized he was angry. He happened to pick up my book. And within six weeks, all of his pain disappeared. It stayed that way for the last seven years. Wow. He exercises. He eats well. He's never felt better in his entire life, even before he had 28 surgeries. I did not think that was possible. Rita in Seattle, she's now 86. So she had chronic pain for 55 years. She's now been pain-free for eight years. What the doctors didn't ask her is that her ex-husband committed suicide at age 30. Then her son committed suicide at age 44 in 2008. Don't wow. be asking those questions. That's stress. I have another gentleman in my office with chronic neck pain, super nice guy. I said to my fellow, I said, look, this is not very hard. It doesn't take much time. By the way, I did not spend a lot of time talking to my patients about their troubles. That actually reinforces the troubles. What are the solutions? So I said, you know, what's going on? I mean, sometimes chronic stress can fire up your nervous system. And you can have pain that we can't really see on a test. He holds up his hand in the shape of a gun and pulls his middle finger as a trigger. And I go, he, then he goes, my son. And with, there's a lot of suicides in chronic pain, by the way. It's a horrendous problem. And I said, I'm really sorry, did he commit suicide? He said, no, he was murdered. And it turns out his grandson had murdered his father, who is his son. He was paranoid schizophrenic. Oh. That's stress. Yeah. Um, I had another, my nurse walk into a patient's room with total body pain. Um, turns out that her husband had fathered her granddaughter. That's stress. I mean, wow. just, I mean, people really suffer. I mean, I'm just, it's hard for well, me. You know, there's this uh, doctor that I work with, Brian Allman down here in San Diego. Kaiser done the study with 141,000 people on adverse childhood experiences. Now they say a, ACE studies. I'm sure you've heard about it. But all of those um, anger, um, resentment, everything that we carry with us, they have proven that leads to uh, obesity, alcoholism, drug abuse, suicide, right? And so Kaiser now is really promoting using the ACE study to check for these, to see where you score on that ACE study. And uh, so I, I work closely with Brian, so I understand uh, what's going on. So listen to this. This is something I heard this last week in our scientific roundtable. This is a study that really just changed the game for me. So they did a study out of Arizona that shows that we, you, if you have high ACE scores, in other words, a lot of trauma, a lot of emotional yeah. pain, yeah. that your body, we have a choice of physical pain versus emotional pain. Your body actually chooses physical pain. Humans do not tolerate emotional pain. So your body, body will either choose physical pain or it'll actually create physical pain. Mm -hmm. You can see this on functional MRI scans. And so the body does not tolerate emotional pain. 
So for instance, when, for instance, when people do cutting, it's not just to distract themselves, they actually feel relief. Mm -hmm. What happened to you now externalize the pain, you can sort of see your suffering, you have a slight summons of control over it, you've externalized it, you've entitled, you're a little bit entitled because you're in pain, but people do not tolerate emotional pain. Blew my mind. Because I hear the problem. So I give my physical pain so I can feel anxious. That's the that's the essence of the nutshell right there. My biggest problem isn't to get people to heal, because once people start the process, they heal. But they can't. And so part of the process is, and one reason it's a little bit of a challenge or a big challenge. First of all, you're in pain. That's a legitimate reason to be upset. But secondly, you have to learn how to tolerate anxiety in order to give up your pain. That's why it's such a balancing act. It's why it's a sequence. You cannot do it over mind over matter. That's why there's never just one tool that actually solved the problem. It's a super balancing act. And we haven't even gotten into these repetitive unpleasant thoughts, which is probably the driving force behind all chronic disease. Now, some presumptuous, and this comes from working with Bruce, is that ARC, we don't like survival reactions. We use our ego and thought processes to counteract this negativity. And the, most of them are cognitive distortions. We don't know who we are. We're attached to our egos and our identities. Mm. And so my feeling, our inability to escape human consciousness is the essence of evil. It goes really grandiose, which I'd love to talk about at some point, but. Well, you're running out of time, but I think for our listeners, you know, to pull away uh, from this podcast and to really take something away uh, they definitely need to go to your website and it's just David Hascom, H-A-N-S-C-O-M.com. Um, that's one of the places they can reach you, right? I don't have well, it up. Actually it's called backincontrol.com. I don't think okay. that website is active anymore. Okay. So let's go backincontrol.com and we'll put a link on the website for that. Um, we'll also put a link to where you can download the applications. This You can actually get this application for your iPhone or your Android device. We'll put a link there as well. Um, if you were to, in the few minutes remaining, leave the listeners with, and I'd like to invite you to come back on because we didn't really get to the whole essence of this. And I think a second podcast is definitely warranted. Um, with two bits of kind of sound advice associated with dealing with chronic pain. So we've got people out there that are listening, I guarantee you are in chronic pain. Uh, yet you've spoken a lot about the causes. They don't really understand how to pull that all together. What two things would you want to tell them or give them a bit of advice? I mean, I know they can contact you through the website, um, that's definitely going to be made available to them. Um, is there anything that you could do for them as they're listening right now? Well, I just want to really admonish people that chronic pain, mental or physical and or physical is solvable. And right now the medical profession does not look at it, look at it this way. It's very much of a self-directed process. You take charge of your life and you have a choice of thriving at a level that you never knew is possible. That's why I do this. So I quit my practice. So as opposed to bouncing around looking for resource after resource after resource, whether it's my resource or somebody else's, please go through the sequence of learning how to calm your physiology and nurture joy. It's a very solvable problem. Now that's two simple bits of advice. And again, to 
go through the process. In other words, like a journey. That's why he calls it, you know, the DOC journey course. Right. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not a spontaneous healing kind of process. Um, you have to work with all of your nervous system, uh, with the physiology, with the psychology that's causing this. And when you mesh this together in this interwoven kind of tapestry, you'll begin to see how they're all interrelated. So I would really encourage my listeners to you know, go to your website. We'll put a link up for the website. Um, you'll see it in the blog entry. We'll also have it everywhere. Um, and also for this application. David, I know that we're running short on time with you. So I want to be honor that. I really want to thank you for being on the show and sharing and talking about your own personal story with pain, as well as some success stories that you just related, which I think were wonderful, as well as the approaches to this uh, and where people can go to help get solutions. You're also out speaking. Uh, you're doing workshops. You're on Zoom. Uh, you've got lots of places where my, uh, my listeners can get to you. And I do want to invite you back for round two to take a deeper dive into this if you're open to doing that. I'd love, love to do that. And again, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed this. Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate your approach to this because normally, as they've said in the world, as you know, because you lived in it, uh, the, the pain would come up and someone would say, you got a back pain. Okay, what's the solutions? Well, we can maybe try and manipulate it or we can do surgery. I mean, if those those were the options, those aren't your only options. That's what I want to tell my listeners is those aren't your only options. Look for this third option, which is being presented to you because it makes so much more sense. I mean, obviously, if you need to have back surgery because there's a real issue, yeah, go do what you've got to do, listeners. But on the other hand, please give this a try first uh, because this is this is. Uh, David's way for you to get out of this pain without having to do that. Thanks so much. Thank you. Namaste to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.